On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Vienna about the top 17 signs to distinguish a narcissistic abuse victim from a toxic narcissist playing the victim. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. With me today, we have the return of Vienna. How are you? I'm good. Hello, hello. And Vienna is from our December 20th Survivor Story episode, uh, December 20th, 2020. Which is, it's wow, that's a, a, a long time ago. It's pretty crazy. And you have also been on a, a guest on one of our most popular episodes, which is the Top 50 Verbal Manipulations. You've also been on an episode where we discussed the Dark Night of the Soul. And you have been a co-host on an episode where we talked to Mark Vicente as well. We talked about cults and the cult that he was involved with, which was Nexium. And you were awesome on that episode. So, Vienna, thank you for being here. And today we are going to discuss the narcissist playing the victim and the narcissist who's actually the victim. And I just want to say right now before we continue on that this is not for second guessing a victim of abuse. This is for if there's confusion between two parties and which of the two parties might be telling the truth and not telling the truth. It's how to do our best to distinguish of what's really going on between two different parties. So if someone is saying that they are abused, please do believe them. And also when it comes to this show, there are some uh, points that we bring up that are very nuanced. So it might not be... Um, uh, applicable to every little situation, and we do our best to explain the nuances of them. So if they are uh, possibly a little confusing for everyone, we apologize, but there are some nuances to some of these uh, topics that we are discussing today, and a lot of them are are hard to uh, distinguish. We're going to do our, our best job so you can see what we've seen as well. And for people that have not been familiar with other work that you have done, you are on the forum Quora and people can find you at wordsalad.quora.com and you help people recover from cluster B abuse. You answer a lot of people's questions on there as well. And it's very, you do a very, very thorough job on there, and it shows because a lot of your answers are upvoted to the extreme on there. And now, before we get started on the first one on our list, because we have a bunch on our list here, let's start off with a little bit of a backstory. Well, sh- sure. Yeah, the, the reason why this list even exists in the first place is because it's brutal and horrific as my marriage to somebody who was diagnosed with a cluster B disorder was, the aftermath was next level. 
this dude launched a smear campaign against me that I eventually came to find out was actually had begun like way before the relationship was even over and it extended far and wide. And I'd even guessed that it was probably still happening now, but who knows? So as I began to educate myself on what to do about it, I found a lot of nothing. I read things like if you respond or participate, you will look crazy. So don't even bother. But anyone who knows me and like, you know, I'm not somebody who's just going to sit back while somebody tries to burn my metaphorical house down, especially when they tried to burn my literal house down at one point. <laughs> so, so I started making this list of telltale behaviors that can help anyone discern who the real victim of abuse is versus the person who's playing the victim. And I actually, I initially started making this for my divorce lawyer because she would say things like, well, that could go either way or, well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I would, I would, I'd be pulling my hair out. Like, how do you not see the obvious? And, and the thing is, is like, it's, it's not obvious all the time, but hopefully this list will help not just lawyers, but friends and family members who have been kind of like pulled into the met, the middle or triangulated. Um, or at least help somebody who is a victim of abuse maybe explain to others the difference and how it's, you know, whatever you need it for anyways. So um, we'll start with the first one. Okay, the first thing, if you're on the outside looking in to discern who is who, the victim or the narcissist, is just to listen, like really listen when someone tells you their stories or their examples of what happened over the course of the relationship, the victim will give specific events with staggering details. The best example of this is the podcast. Each episode is nearly two hours for good reason. There's a lot of details that go into it that really paint you a picture. As opposed to the narcissist who will give large sweeping short accounts Void of details, like lots of broad strokes. And there's a million examples of this. Um, you know, like like it was 11 o'clock at night. I just got home from work. So you've got the detail of what time it is. You've got the detail of like what's going on. And he was really angry because I was late. He began yelling at me and threw all of my things out of the house. He pushed me out, slammed the door and locked it behind me. Like that would be you know, a pretty detailed account of one specific thing. Whereas a narcissist would just say something like, they're just so abusive. I don't really want to talk about it. Or it's too painful to bring up. So I'll just leave it at that. And the thing is, is, is that narcissists are, are not creative people in general. They're, they're running on autopilot, like by the definition of what, you know, having narcissistic personality disorder is. And it's really difficult for them to ad lib. So even if you do say something like, can you give me some more details? Um, you should pay attention to the wording, which brings us to number two. So number two is to pay attention to the wording. Uh, a victim remembers abuse with certainty. There's no waffling about what happened when. 
it's like this is what happened and you're and and you know you know it and even if it's even if there's gaslighting involved it's like once you start sorting through it it's very obvious but a narcissist <laughs> i don't know how to explain this exactly i guess it's um they use a lot of adverbs if that makes sense so they'll say things like oh well they apparently or i suppose or Perhaps they thought, or I guess they probably believe. Does that paint you a picture of what I'm trying to get across? Well, for me, when you use these words, it's a lot of insinuation. It's a lot of assumption thinking, and it's a lot of putting words, thoughts, uh, beliefs into someone else's frame. And it's not presenting a fact of reality in that sense it's leaving a lot it's leaving a lot of space around whatever they're talking about another uh, another good example of this would be is um word salad is basically it so um i remember getting an email from my ex-husband's lawyer that she had to copy and paste or just like forwarded an email from him or something. And he, he was using double negatives in this way that was like so confusing to explain something. And he would say stuff like, um, I never didn't intentionally not pay the bill. And it's like, what did you just say? Did you pay the bill or not? You know, it's just these kinds of things. So next on the list, we have look to the past. Yeah, a victim has a history of stability in relationships for the most part. You know, it's like not everyone has to be great, but, you know, they uh, can maintain pleasantries at the, at the least with some or most of their ex-partners, whereas the narcissist has a history of instability in their relationships and make claims of abuse in in most of them, if not all of them. My ex, when I first met him, I remember, was telling me of how the two girlfriends before me were both abusive. And I was just like, wow, the luck of the draw, you get two back to back and like, you know, not for nothing, but he's a, a bigger guy. He's six feet tall and these two women were both of South Asian descent. And I myself am, you know, tiny. <laughs> they were smaller than I was. And I was like, wow, this, this big guy got, got beat up by two little girls. That's crazy. And it's not crazy. It's just a lie. <laughs> and as far as the history instability of relationships this can also be friendships as well because there's a lot of people out there who always have new sets of friends and it's just one of those things where people burn bridges with whoever it is it could be an individual or it could be like a whole group and they always have to make a new set of friends and they have to just move on to a brand new group and that's just their life yeah, conflict within uh, friendship groups is a pretty good telltale sign. All right. Up next, we have PTSD. Yeah, and we all know what symptoms of PTSD look like. 
you know, you're jumpy, you're easily frightened, you have flashbacks, nightmares, these types of things. Narcissists all the time, especially if they start reading up on their own condition that they presume you know, that they're trying to convince other people that you have, um, they will pretty quickly make claims that they are the ones with PTSD. But the way to tell the difference is you just look for the person who has the signs because the narcissist will say it, but there's no signs there. And they actually don't even go far enough like into the research to really discern what those signs are. What signs did you have that were noticeable to other people? Oh, that I still have. <laughs> you do still have some residue. I still have a little residue. The difference now is that I it's it's funny when it comes up as opposed to, you know, devastating. <laughs> but the easily frightened thing and the jumpiness is the main one, especially and I don't really know why this is, but especially late at night, I will jolt myself out of sleep terrified thinking that there's somebody in the house um i had a lot of nightmares and i had i actually i i had um a little bit of agoraphobia but it was also at the beginning of lockdown so <laughs> it's hard to say what was what but yeah i i was like i wasn't afraid to leave the house but i just really didn't ever want to so up next, we have look for which person is flying their victim flag. Right. Yeah. So a, a victim of abuse right after a relationship. And we're talking about not, not during the relationship, even during the relationship. Sure. But this one's more for afterwards. Uh, they self-isolate. They hermit for the most part. And they're ashamed and embarrassed, which is why they stayed in a relationship for so long in the first place. Um, the, a victim won't freely discuss their situation with just anybody. A lot of the times it's not due to the shame, just the shame, but it's also because of fear of retribution. A victim of abuse doesn't want to poke the bear. Whereas a narcissist will discuss their victim status with literally anyone who will listen because they're trying so hard to convince others that they are the victim. But they're also, you know what, they're also trying to convince themselves a lot of the times because they have such an unstable sense of self. They, they can't see, sometimes they, they really can't see that it's them that's the problem. So if they convince everything outside of themselves that it's you then that in turn reflects back to them in this distorted way. Um, I, I don't know if, if this is something that a lot of people know, but if you have a restraining order against somebody and you find out that they're claiming to be a victim of your abuse online, your restraining order most likely has a cyber stalking clause in it and that would be included. So someone is using social media to do a smear campaign against you, or they're just playing the victim role within this situation, a restraining order can still come into play or a protective order can still come into play here as them violating it. Yeah, that's right. I actually, um, when I found uh, tweets from uh, an account that I didn't know about, and this is like, 
<laughs> this is like almost a year after we separated. He was, my ex was still online. He was on Twitter and he was in, I, I don't, I, please forgive me. I don't know really how Twitter works. I'm like one of these people who doesn't know how the internet works, but he was in these groups or, or, you know, talking with these on these threads about borderline personality disorder. And he was saying um, how he was a victim of abuse from somebody who had borderline personality disorder, you know, saying it was me and how I had driven him close to suicide. And um, he said something like, I, how he had been psychologically abused by someone with BPD for years and how he regret the day he ever met me and how I wouldn't go into a DBT program. Like he had this very elaborate story <laughs> with lots of um, points to, just to, to make himself seem and I don't even really know why someone would do this other than to convince themselves at this point because we were nearly divorced at this point um but anyways when it was brought to my attention I actually I flagged it and I and I sent it I sent like the flag email to Twitter along with a little note that just said I have a restraining order against this person they're not allowed to um smear me online and they closed his account. They took him offline. So good on you, Twitter. And for those that couldn't see you when I brought this one up, you had a smile on your face because I assume that you find this one to be one of the most fascinating ones of the signs to tell the difference between two parties because of the psychology uh, and the length that someone might go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was um, before the fog kind of began to dissipate. You know, there's a lot of like, why is this person doing this? Why are you doing these things? Why would you, what, what is, why are you bothering doing all these things when, you know, we're like, we're, we're divorced, we're getting divorced. We're not together anymore. We don't even live in the same state anymore. Like, what is the point of all this? And and to realize that the point a lot of the times is to convince themselves. That was fascinating and shocking. It's something you're very good at, which is looking at those statements and then deciphering those statements and understanding those statements. It's actually one of your biggest talents. Yeah, because, you know, thank you. But once again, a victim is really not a victim of somebody, a victim of abuse at the hands of somebody else is not going to antagonize that person. It's just not going to happen. And up next, we have Look Who Goes Back and Forth. Yeah, for the most part... In, a, in an abusive relationship, a victim will hide the abuse, at least for a period of time, from their friends and family, coworkers, etc. It it often surprises other people when they're they're fin finally ready to open up just how much has gone on, right? However, a narcissist will spend years 
or the span of the relationship claiming to be a victim of abuse and they'll keep switching back and forth between smearing your name to singing your praise depending on what's going on in that moment and and really good example of this is if anyone ever comes to you and says you know and, and is talking poorly about their partner or saying that you know their partner's just so verbally abusive they just yell and scream at me all the time but then when you see them together they they pull you aside and say like hey you know don't don't bring it up we're just we're having we're at a good point right now so I don't want uh, to ruin it. Or they'll say something like, I just want to have a good time, so don't say anything. That's a very clear sign that that person is lying. So part of the example you just gave, there is a segregation going on with people. And the person being told here is being told two different things and to act two different ways. Or they're taking in subject matter where they themselves are being given rules of what they're seeing and what they're not seeing. It's control. It's a controlling situation, and it's like a, the smear is being controlled. Up next, we have the click flip. <laughs> not the click flip. The flip. That's what it says you're, here. I, you were calling it the click, and I'm like, what is the click? Uh, up next... <laughs> Up next, we have the flip. Yeah, this is kind of, this is the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde inconsistent personality thing. So similarly to how a victim has a history of stability in relationships, this one is more like the victim of abuse might seem unstable, but if you look to the past, um, they have a history of stability, <laughs> stable and consistent emotional reactions over time. You got to look for the patterns. So what are the patterns? It's the things that happen over time. Whereas if you know the narcissist or if you spend any time with a narcissist, they have a history of instability, mood swings, jumping from job to job, relationship to relationship. They are have that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde personality with the inconsistent reactions that provoke a change in mood rapidly. And you were the person who brought this up that what I now mention all the time on the show, which is patterns. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And as we discussed earlier, it's been a while that I said on the show, did you see any red flags? And you said a red flag isn't a red flag until it becomes a pattern. And from then on, how I talk to people has changed and the discussion of all of those things have changed when it comes to red flags. I don't really ask about red flags anymore. It's more of like, what are the patterns that you're seeing? And I could go, you know, back and name this podcast, I'd probably call it Patterns of Abuse if I could, but most people search uh, narcissist. And when you're talking about this stuff, you start looking for patterns. Obviously, one-offs will happen, but when you, know, when you keep track of these things and you start to see the patterns that are forming and you just keep an open mind about what's going on, 
You know, if you're going into new relationships or getting into something with new friends or someone who's in this type of relationship, you start to notice the patterns yourself as well. And you just have to keep track. Even if you're a friend of someone, you know, you keep track for that friend if they're not doing it themselves. Exactly. And now, up next, who flees the scene of the crime? Yeah, and this is not to be confused with a victim fleeing for their life or going to a shelter, these kinds of things. That's not what this is about. This is about, at the end of the day, after the discard, who holds on to the children, the pets, the house, anything stable? And who abandons the children, the pets, the house, and says something like, I just had to get free to save myself. Or I was willing to give up everything just to get away. That's not, that's not fleeing a bad relationship. That's fleeing the scene of a crime. And up next, we have restraining order. Yeah, my ex would tell everybody that he had a restraining order against me, which was not true. <laughs> and I just can't imagine if if anyone had ever asked him to see it because he didn't have one. So if somebody's telling you that they have a restraining order, just ask to see it. Because if you really do have a restraining order and you are afraid of somebody else, you have a copy at work, you have a copy at home, you have a copy in the car, you have a copy filed with the police department, you don't have any any trouble producing it, is what I'm saying. And if you are too afraid to ask, you can always go to the county or the state or whatever place actually holds these orders. And you can go there uh, to ask and see it. And they have to produce it because it is in the public domain. Yeah, it's part of the Freedom of Information Act. Even if you live in a state like I do. That doesn't make this information public for you to find online. A lot of states do. I know that Texas does. Um, But if you happen to live in a state that makes it really hard to figure out who's out there lurking around, you can go to your county clerk's office and request it, and they have to show you. And next up, we have empathy. You know, there's obviously going to be some bad, hurt feelings involved in any disillusion of a relationship but in general and over time these patterns again a victim will at some point at least have empathized with the narcissist and and want good things for them and have a history of being helpful to them where a narcissist very quickly will say things like i just want them to suffer like they've made me suffer or they you know they seek they want revenge and they have a history of abandoning the victim in their times of need. It, honestly, in my opinion, this is one of the easiest ways to tell the difference. A narcissist will literally seethe with hatred and say things like they deserve to suffer or I hope they get what they deserve. And yes, I have definitely said these things <laughs> once or twice. Um, but all in all, there's not a history of it. All right. Up next, we have divorce etiquette. 
Yeah, this might be one of the ones that isn't 100% across the board because people deal with grief differently, but a narcissist probably 100% of the times we can say wants to destroy the victim during a divorce. They don't compromise, they refuse to negotiate, and after barely contributing during the relationship, <laughs> they don't want to give anything after the relationship. And they um, they unnecessarily prolong proceedings. They um, don't send stuff in on time, they get extensions a lot, they uh, try to run the other side's bill up by you know, contacting the lawyer for these like little minor things. And at this point in the game, for the most part, uh, a victim just wants an equitable settlement. They don't want to be screwed, but they're not asking for everything. And they just want to get it over with. But again, this one's a little bit nuanced. But it's also one that if people listen to our survivor story episodes, that people in divorce situations have to deal with all the time. And up next, we have therapy and self-help. Um, a, a victim will, will learn a lot about what's going on and um, use it and their situation to empower and educate others. Like they really, they want to come on the show to help other people. Whereas a narcissist will gather any information that they're gathering and they they want to use it to excuse responsibility and to garner sympathy from others. Like you'll find uh, victims in support groups, private online communities, subscribing to podcasts, purchasing literature, going to therapy, self-help books on and on where a narcissist will do like just enough research to weaponize their knowledge. And up next, we have defining the other, the definition of verbal abuse. Right. So you will hear, and this is something that you just kind of have to train your ears to listen for. You will hear a victim describing behavior, not necessarily the person. They will say things like, uh, I was being gaslit or he was gaslighting me or they were gaslighting me or um, they were projecting onto me. And you'll hear a narcissist say the same thing, but it won't be a description of behavior. It will be a definition of the person. It will be labeling the person instead of the situation. A narcissist will say things like, uh, she always has to be right, or he never cared about me, or they were such a B, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, if somebody's willing to be verbally abusive when describing somebody else, you can almost guarantee that they've been verbally abusive to that person. And if I may step in here for one second and say there's a little bit of nuance for both of these statements. And when it comes to the victim and saying he was gaslighting, uh, he was projecting, 
you know, the victim will describe those behaviors and then they will go into detail about what is going on and they'll tell more of a story after the fact and have details of the story. And when it comes to the narcissist in these situations where they're saying, you know, to distinguish between a narcissist and a victim where they're saying, oh, this person's such a bitch or she's always has to be right. You know, those statements can be made by a victim as well, but usually or, you know, the nuance of it is there's a whole entire very detailed story uh, before that so you don't get confused as well. So for both parts, it's all about the detail. And both the detail are needed in both parts to differentiate. And I hope I'm, I'm making uh, sense about that. Well, that's actually a red flag. Yeah. Well, that brings us back. That's, the, that's like the first thing we were talking about. When, when, when there's a story that's keyword stacked but devoid of um, detail, that's what you're talking about, right? Correct. And there are people out there that are not the victim, pretending to be the victim. And for the ones that have to do with specifically the terminology, like the real jargon of narcissistic abuse and domestic violence, when it comes to those things, they learn all the terminology and they're out there. And after they learn all this terminology, they're very good at using the terminology to sound like they know what they're talking about, but there are just no details at all. And they can tell you what all these things mean, but they still just don't have the details of the story that go behind it. And that, that really shows their arrogance that they uh, think that they can go tit for tat with you, somebody who deals with this every day, who's, you know, more or less an expert in the field, um, they truly believe that they can scan uh, psychologytoday.com <laughs> and convince you of something. Up next, we have victim designation. Right. So um, the term survivor is a term for a reason. Most victims go to great lengths not to be considered a victim. They don't like the victim designation. They don't want to be called a victim. Whereas uh, the narcissist will be the first one to claim to be the victim. <laughs> they don't realize that it's a dead giveaway. When there's somebody, um, let's say just like online, for example, because that's where I, that's kind of my arena, um, who just like, comes out guns blazing saying I am a victim it kind of it gives you pause a little bit and up next we have crocodile tears yeah this is another one of the nuanced ones um because people deal with grief differently uh the victim in general will you know cry a lot <laughs> in public at work there's this really, I don't want to say great video because it's not good at all, but one of the um, videos of Gabby Petito, for example, is she's like sitting in a car and she looks just absolutely hysterical. And the boyfriend 
looks cool as a cucumber and they're out in public and the way that a narcissist will spin that is that you know like she's just crazy she's just hysterical she's just lost her mind I, I'm just trying to calm her down and the calm person looks to be the sane person but in reality not a lot of people want to be out in public with tears strolling down their face it's not a comfortable way to be so instead of victimizing somebody who looks like they're in emotional distress maybe just take into consideration how difficult that is for a lot of people um whereas the narcissist you know they never shed a tear <laughs> and if they do they're crocodile tears you can look at the look at their face if you can see their face look at their face they they might sound like they're crying they might be pretending like they're crying but like do they have tears coming out of their eyes and this one is very nuanced just to remind everyone right right because you know a lot of people numb out also they don't they they just go numb and that's valid yes and something i've experienced before in you know in experience of the crocodile tears and the flip not the click the flip and you're getting someone who seems like they are crying and then the flip happens and it's hard to explain uh, what that means. It's a real nuance. And, uh, you know, some of you might understand what that actually is because you've experienced it yourself. It's really difficult to translate into words. Uh, you know, when it happened to me, it was fascinating how it happened. It went from crocodile tears in a split second moment where I'm like, everyone, and when I say that, I, I kind of just looked up in the air and was like, whoa, like did that moment just happen? And it was like, I was talking to two totally different people. I think maybe that's the best way to describe what happened. It was just such an instant where my body and everything just reacted to it. And I backed away physically. I guess that's the best way I can explain the nuance of it. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like boo-hoo-hoo, I'm so sad, all these things happened, and then at the drop of a dime, they are suddenly angry or laughing inappropriately. Most people don't have emotions that they can turn on and off at such a quick speed. And up next, we have black and white thinking. Right. So uh, if you don't know what black and white thinking is, it is when it is all or nothing, essentially. Uh, when somebody says like, you always, or you never, or this always happens to me, or I've never not had this, you know, it's, it's one or the other, basically. There's nothing in between. So when a victim relays accounts of abuse, they speak from firsthand experience. They speak in the first person. They begin sentences with I. They refer to their abuser as he or she, or they use the name, um, which is what you hear on the podcast. You get a sense of who the person is that's speaking because they are assigning 
things to people. And it's because they are verbalizing a memory. They are telling a story because they are putting words to something that's inside of their head. Whereas a narcissist will, like you said before, use a lot of technical jargon and keyword stuff their sentences, but there will be not, they, they won't be associating those keywords with specific events or specific people. And you can really pick up on this with, um, they will use the word they a lot. Um, they'll say something like, you know, these people, they always triangulate or these types of people, they, you know, blah, 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 blah. Instead of saying I was triangulated. When you hear a narcissist speak like this, you almost get the sense that they're trying to convince themselves and other people. So it's almost like when you hear a narcissist tell you a story, it's, it's not a story at all. It's almost like a lecture, like they're trying to educate you so you will believe them. Yeah, and I guess it's a form of shifting responsibility, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah. And up next, we have who has morals here, or as you put it, who has morals here? <laughs> who has the morals here? <laughs> you'll you'll notice the victim will uh, show a distaste for poor behaviors in general of others and empathize in general with others, whereas a narcissist. Uh, if if you pay attention, they identify with the poor behaviors of others. Like, they'll say things like, yeah, well, I can see how they just lost their cool and killed their whole family. A man can only take so much. <laughs> and if you step back from that, you're like, wait, what? You, you, you can, you can see how that's okay. They don't have empathy or if it's, it's empathy for themselves. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. And up next, our last one, responsibility. Right. Um, a victim will accept responsibility for the role that they played. And, and oftentimes, honestly, uh, the role that other people have played, they'll take responsibility for the behavior of their abuser. And, um, you know, a narcissist just can't take responsibility. If they do, it's followed by a, an, an and but, right? They'll say like, yeah, I did that, but uh, they made me do it is also a big one. Or I only did it because. I think this is a really good one to end off with because it's really the beginning of someone's healing process. And, you know, when someone is healing, they are truly doing the work. There's a point where for someone to never have this happen again, you want to make sure that your boundaries and your values and everything that's going on, that the work you're doing, the needed work to be done is being done. It's not just a lot of time 
you know, a lot of the time when you're starting the healing process, you're looking at the other person that you dealt with and you, and you, as everyone does, they learn about the ins and outs of what a narcissist or what an abuser does. But then at a certain post point, most people then start kind of going inward and in what they're dealing with, how they react to things. How did they get themselves into this situation in the sense of what did they let slide? What triggers were hit inside me? How did they get me to do this? And it's all to try and build a better boundaries, to build a better defense. So, you know, you're trying to figure out what went wrong so it doesn't happen again. And it's a responsibility in the sense of going forward that, if someone was to click your buttons and go after your vulnerabilities uh, to use something at your advantage, that these things won't work on you in the same way, or you'll be able to better detect things, see uh, patterns form, or understand that these things are happening and how they're trying to be used against you. You're just more of a detective in a lot of the ways. And a detective in, into who you are is being a detective to someone else at the same time, if that makes sense. So... You know, when, you know, you're just trying to nip these things in the bud quicker and we might not always be successful at doing these things because sometimes we get, we do get swept up a second or a third time just because these patterns, sometimes they switch things up. So sometimes it looks a little bit difficult, but someone is doing the work here and that's part of the responsibility aspect is doing the work and trying to do your best to get better. Right. Well, you know what you're describing here is healing codependency, healing your codependency. Basically it, it essentially just in a nutshell is bringing the focus back to the self. Codependency is when you have an, a, an intense focus on the other and, and you're self-forgetting. So that's it's just bringing the attention back to the self and not taking responsibility for other people, but taking responsibility for you. And one day, hopefully soon, we will do a really in-depth uh, episode on codependency and inverted narcissism. So that's it. Thank you, Vienna. Thank you very much for being here with us today and sharing all your knowledge once again. And it was just a really helpful episode for everyone to hear, sharing all your knowledge once again. So thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for being here with me. And people can find you at wordsalad.cora.com. They can also find you on Instagram at Astro Investigator for people that have listened to our episode, The Dark Night of the Soul. They know that you do natal charts, you do birth charts and astrology for people as well. You're not just in this field of narcissistic abuse. You want to help people see things they might not be seeing and help people move forward with what's going on in their lives as well and help them heal uh, with that process as well. So you can be found on Instagram at Astro Investigator and you can be a message there. People can direct message you there. And I will also put all this stuff in the show notes. And before 
we end off the show, I just want to say to those people that want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, you can go to NarcissistApocalypse.com at the top of the page. There is a button that says guest form. And when you click on that button, it'll take you to our guest form page. And there, there are a lot of instructions. Please do read the instructions and you can either send us a note through our guest form or you can email us at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and send us all your notes to be a guest on our Survivor Story episode. And as well, I want to thank... Uh, the people at domesticshelters.org for being such a great resource for people. So if you need extra support, everyone, you can go to domesticshelters.org. They have articles, they have resources. You can look up shelters there as well. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource today. And another resource we have is our very own support group, which you can be found, which can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. And when you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. We have forum boards. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday. It's on Saturday nights and Thursday afternoons. We also have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes. And if you just want to support the show, just sign up to our support group and that will do it. So thank you very much for doing that. And now I just want to say thank you once again to Vienna. And from both of us, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>